Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, I want to talk today about a retirement party I had. Um, so I want to share a little bit about the journey leading up to that, and then also just what that was, what it meant to me, and some things that I think are helpful to know from that part of my journey, because it was very unique, I think. Not a common experience. And also, it's very dear to things that I'm passionate about, that I very much care about. So I was... Tw- you know, my whole life, I actually... I've always had this idea in my head... Or this like drive to be an entrepreneur. I didn't have a word for it most of my life. I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know other people thought like this. I felt very different than most people most of my life in this regard. Um, but entrepreneurship has always been like a passion of mine. I've always been like drawn to that. I've always resisted the structure and the requirements and the restrictions placed on us in school and at jobs. I just, it never sat well with me. I always just felt like I had to like sacrifice some part of myself in order to make that system work. And I never, like most of my life, I didn't consider there was an option outside of that. I thought it was normal. Like just being an adult and going into the real world and going into society, this was something you had to like embrace. It was almost like authoritative, like a law. Thankfully, at some point in my life, I discovered that wasn't true. And I want to talk about that, that journey a little bit. But when I was a kid, uh, I was in third grade and I was going to a private school and I was the poorest kid in my class. Like all of my classmates were rich kids. Um, their families were well off and whatever. And my parents were making good money, but they were shoving all of like most of their sizable income into my sisters and my education rather than other lifestyle choices or whatever, which at this point, obviously I'm grateful for, but there was definitely a, a contrast between our socioeconomic status and everybody else I went to school with. And so with the students around me, I was friends with and learning to like connect with and relate to them and all that. Like they always had different perspectives than I did on life and values and priorities, especially when it came to our stuff, like our attitude about how we treated stuff. Um, and so I remember one specific instance of this was my friend Ray spoiled kid. I don't mean that in a disparaging way. He just legitimately got whatever he wanted whenever he wanted it, wanted it and just was not afraid to throw a fit to change the way things were going. And so his parents gave him like just money to spend at school and just like, and to them, it's just like they're taking care of their kid. But to me, I was like, oh my gosh, he gets money to like buy stuff all the time. This is amazing. And so he went to the the student store and bought a bunch of these random erasers one day, like colorful erasers, shaped erasers, whatever, like these playful, interesting erasers. Right. And he, he was using some of them one day and then he just gave them me. He didn't want them anymore. He's like, do you want these? I was like, sure, I want those. And I, I don't know why. I just knew there was value attached to this, these erasers. So I took them from him and I had this thought. I was like, you know what? These erasers are cool. I think kids would love them. I bet I could sell these erasers to my classmates. And, and I got them for free, right? So I started like, I don't know, if I was like playing with the erasers on my desk. And then my friends were like, what are you doing? I want those. I want, where'd you get that? I want that. I'm like, oh yeah, you can buy this or whatever. And I remember thinking like, I could sell these to my friends. So I sold them for like 25 cents each. And then the bigger, more colorful ones, I sold those for 50 cents. And so my friends, remember, these kids are loaded. 
were buying my erasers to the point where I ran out of inventory. And I had to go to Ray and be like, where did you get these erasers? And he's like, oh, the student store. And I was like, what? So I went to the store by myself one day between breaks, looked at the erasers, and I was like, these are selling for five and ten cents. I can't believe this. I can make a profit or whatever. And in my mind, I justified it. I was like, I'm charging people for shipping and handling, right? Like that's the price difference here. So I took the money that I'd made from the initial sale and bought more inventory. And then I sold more erasers and it started becoming this massive fad in my class. Um, And I remember I made like 22.75 and then my teacher found out that everyone was buying these erasers from me and she shut down my whole operation. I had to like, I had to close the business, which was super lame, but it was a great experience. And I got, it was a great run. <clears throat> and it changed my life. I think I remember um, being very impacted by opportunity. I was like, man, if you find a way, like, uh, there are all kinds of opportunities all around us that people just don't think about. And if you could, like, take care of it, you could make a profit. I remember that hitting me on some level. I don't know how much of it I actually understood back then, but it did something to me on an emotional level. All right. So that's kind of where I was coming from. Anyway, fast forward. I'm 25, I'm working at a full-time job and have dreams for the future of things I want to build and invest in and experience. And I just got really honest with myself and looked at my income. And I was like, wow, this is going to take me forever to get to invest in anything sizable based on how much money I make for how much time it's taking me. Like, that's not going to work. And I realized with the traditional employment thing, I need to find a better way. I need to get outside of my nine to five. Not quit my job, but make more money outside of the other clocked in hours, right? Um, and I started following a bunch of entrepreneurs online because I had this entrepreneurial drive and I just started waking up to it or started becoming more conscious and intentional of that and finding voices all over that would validate that desire inside of me and that the, who would basically be saying like, this is right. This is good. You can have this. This desire is normal. It's celebrated. It's something that you have to foster and take care of, but it's noble and profound. And I just kept finding people who were giving me permission to be that to pursue that, to express that, to develop that. And so I slowly like started following other people on social media, started growing and I started finding people who were doing things I wanted to be doing. They were teaching courses. They were speaking on massive stages. They were, they didn't have a job. They were building their own empire, like all these different features. I was like, I'm really attracted to that. That seems amazing to me. And it wasn't out of ambition. It was out of freedom. It was out of a genuine expression of what was in my heart. <clears throat> so I remember like there was one point in the midst of like following these different people that I was like, these people are my heroes. Like these people are defining what I want my life to look like. And I'd never really experienced that up to this point in my life. I was like, these people are doing things and embodying things and representing things and communicating things that I genuinely identify with and care about deeply. So I just continue to go further down this road of like, I need to be an entrepreneur. I need to find ways to generate income outside of my normal thing. Not even necessarily for money. That was a secondary motive. The, the main primary function of that was I needed to figure out if I could do this or not. Could I, generate income out of a paycheck, out of someone, so like an employer. <clears throat> so I remember my first like venture, um, I had done some accounting at the end of a year and looked at, at the end of 2013. and was like, okay, this is how much I made this year. Oh, this is not going well. So I went on a walk with God and I was like, God, what am I going to do? I need to find a way to increase my means. I want to make more money. I want to, I, I remember back then I actually wanted to invest in a, rental property. I was like, I want to have a property I can rent out and whatever. How am I going to do that with this kind of income? This is crazy. But I believe that it could happen. I was like, how could I make this happen? Um, one thing I learned from Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki is don't ask, um, don't say, oh, I can't afford it. Instead, turn that statement into a question. How can I afford it? And open up the creative, the creative faculty in your being to consider possibilities, right? So I went on a walk with the Lord and then des- decided that day that I was going to open a spiritual coaching, a 
spiritual life coaching business where I was going to coach people like life coach them, but specifically with a bent on the spiritual and like separating what's going on in their, in the spirit realm in their lives. And how do they get into these patterns and cycles and how do we break that in their life and how do we help them agree with the truth? And so I opened my business at the beginning of 2014, super nerve wracking. I was afraid. And because this episode isn't about coaching, I'm just going to long story short, it blew up. First year, I had like probably six solid clients. I was charging $20 an hour. And I was like, I can't believe this is happening. This is awesome. But as it started to grow and I started getting more competent and better language for what I was doing and learning how to market myself better and just also even honing my craft, word of mouth started spreading. My clients started growing. I started getting better with social media. My social media presence was growing as well. And I remember within the span of two and a half years, I had... Uh, actually in the span of six months, my clientele had doubled three times, which if you think about exponential growth, that's crazy. Um, to the point where I couldn't do it by myself anymore. I was getting exhausted. I also partnered with a buddy of mine for a rental property company that he was running, um, a property management company. I partnered with him on the community side of it and just started running like the tenant side of things and became a co-owner of the business. So it was two additional streams of income that had generated since I was working. And then I also um, invested in an online product brokerage business and started generating money in that as well. So I had three different income streams coming in on the side while I was still working full-time at my job. And I'd been doing that for a few years. And by the time I was 29, my income with my three side hustles had surpassed my full-time salary. And I was like, I'm making more money with my side hustles than I'm getting paid at my job. And I spend 40 hours a week at my job. And I don't, I spend like, you know, a chunk of hours per week in each of these side things. Um, and so I remember like getting very, um, getting very real with the Lord and being like, I think it's time for to shift things on a monetary standpoint. But also personally, I remember I came back from a trip from Japan already with this itch that I don't want to be an employee. I don't want to work in an office. I don't want to do this anymore. And not because I was bored, but because it felt like I was not representing myself to the world and I wasn't walking what I was supposed to be doing. I came back from a ministry trip where I preached and taught and people were so hungry for truth and wanting to know like who the Lord was and how he was conducting us to operate in this life. And they're like, how do you know this? And I'm like, I'm not like trying to create profound things. I'm just like trying to interpret and translate what I'm hearing from the Lord and how he's taught me to walk in life. And I was like, man, people want better than what they know and they don't have access to better where they are. I can't in good conscience sit in an office doing admin work and working on spreadsheets and replying to emails and customer service when there are people all over the world who would benefit from my voice and what I would have to contribute in that space. And I was like, I have to do that. I got to help these people. So I came back from that trip and told my boss and I, she had known for a year that I wanted to leave my job. Um, and so I gave her a month's notice and she turned it into three months and I was like, okay, I'll give that to you. And so I worked for another three months. And then on September 15th, 2016, I had a retirement party and that's what this episode is entitled. Um, I threw a retirement party because I needed to celebrate this mile marker in my life. I was about to leave traditional employment and go be my own boss. And I remember two days before the party, and I wanted to commemorate that celebration is a big deal to me. I mean, it's, it's important in the spirit and does something. It's very constructive and instrumental in hosting and carrying out like spirit that will lead and empower us. So that was already a practice in mind. So I knew I needed to have a party, not for the attention and not for people to know stuff. That wasn't the goal. The priority was this needs to be commemorated. I want to agree with honoring what's happening in my life in this space. 
<clears throat> so I started, I threw a retirement party. I remember two days before the party, I had this thought, this epiphany, and I realized it wasn't like a, I was hoping this would be the case. It was like I, the veil got pulled back and I woke up to a tr- like truth in my life. And I realized I was never going to work for somebody else another day in my life. And I was like, whoa, my life is going to be very different than I thought it was. And I'm not sure what I used to think it was going to be, but this was not it. And I was 29. I was like, I'll never have a boss again. And that's not the the future that I was told growing up. When I was a kid and I was going through school, that's not what they told me would happen. They told me all these other things that I didn't love, I wasn't looking forward to. And I was like, this is better than anything I thought was going to happen. And so I was so shocked. I was grateful. I was profoundly moved. I was like, this is incredible. I can't believe this is happening. Um, and actually a few months later into the self-employment world, I remember, um, having this moment where I just was like, I, do I need to pinch myself? I can't believe this is my life. I can't believe this is happening. When I was 19, I did a backflip off of a tree for the first time, ran up the tree, a couple steps, jumped off, did a backflip, landed it. Um, and I grew up watching power Rangers and loved power Rangers. So with the day that I ran up a tree and did a backflip off of it and landed it, my whole status in the universe up, like leveled up. I was like, I'm better than I thought it was. I'm a cooler person than I thought I was. I had this like almost irrational emotional response to that. When I stuck the landing the first time from having done a backflip off a tree, I was like, my life just changed. And this might not be true for other people, but for me, that was like a monumental accomplishment. I was like, I overcame a limitation that most people live within that I genuinely wanted to not live under. And it happened. Like I broke into a, an aspect of life where I got to do stuff I didn't know I would be able to do. I was so like moved. It was an incredible experience. <clears throat> a couple months after having retired, I had a similar experience. I was like, I quit my job and I'm making good money. Like I'm taking, I'm being taken care of and I don't have anybody to report to. I'm building something that I, I'm building things I care about and I'm getting paid to do things I'm passionate about. This is incredible. I can't believe this is happening. Um, anyway, so we threw a retirement party and had all, a bunch of family and friends come over and we celebrated and it was funny, but also beautiful. And I thanked several people who were like instrumental in my journey along the way and got to like honor them and just share like what I was going to be up to, you know? And, um, there was just such a buzz around the whole thing because it was so much fun and just super cool. And I had a lot of funny responses from people. The word retirement probably wasn't the most appropriate because it wasn't not working. I was just going into self-employment, right? Uh, and a confession I want to throw into this was like leading up to the decision to leave my job. I had a, like probably three weeks, four weeks before that finally was going to happen. I had a couple of moments where I was aware of the invitation to be afraid. Like fear came to me and would basically say like, are you sure this is going to work? Hey, like what if all your clients just stop coming to you? What if people stop purchasing your services? What if you know, your product brokerage business like dries up? What if, you know, all the tenants like stop? What if that business flops? Like, what if, what if, what if all these like scary, what ifs were coming to me? And I never thought that way. And I was like, I was like, if that did happen, what would happen to me? And, uh, you know, I was like, uh, and I found myself half considering how to like, you know, manage a negative, like a, a worst case scenario there. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't want to feed into this energy. I don't want to give into considering fear's version of what the future could look like. I don't want to allow my, the part, any part of me to give into that. So I stopped thinking about it. And one thing I want to throw into, into that you guys is, um, it probably does take a level of self-control to pull this off, but, and it also maybe seems counterintuitive to those of us who are addicted to control to try and like prepare for the future, especially something that could go wrong. But I'd like to propose that 
preparing for the worst case scenario is not healthy, not constructive, especially when you're following the Lord. If you're following your own ambition, your own like agenda, and you're the one generating all this, then maybe that's appropriate and makes sense. But if the Lord is leading you down a path and he's like guiding and protect, guiding you, protecting you and providing for you, then envisioning the worst case scenario and preparing for that is actually disobedience. It is not appropriate. And so I found myself like considering going down that road. I was like, whoa, I don't want to do this. Not because I didn't want to feel the negative emotion. It actually felt violating. It felt like I was disobeying and like stepping out of what I was supposed to be doing. So I cut it off and it happened multiple times. It wasn't just a one-time thing. That proposal came to me multiple times in that period of time, even after, even after I quit my job. For a few months after, it still would come like, dude, what if this falls to pieces? What if this crumbles? What if you fail? And I was like, yeah, I'm not entertaining this thought. And I just refused to go down that path in my mind and in my consideration. And that was almost three years ago now. And it's only continued to get better. Like there's no drying up. There's no ending. There's no failure here. It just continues to get better. And there are so many of us who are conditioned that things only last for a certain amount of time and then they have to crash, they have to burn, they have to fail, they have to fall apart. A lot of us have this self-sabotaging mechanism in our mind when it comes to imagining the future and we like expect for things to break down at some point and then we rebuild and we recover and we go through this drama, this emotional like turmoil and there's this cycle to it. And I have learned enough up to this point about like human psychology and the spiritual realm and just the ways that our soul engages with our emotional process and to recognize that that stuff does happen to people and identify it in my own life and to say no to that. I don't think a lot of people have done that work. And so they just are victims to these preconceived mindsets and expectations they were handed from people before them. And it's not helpful. It's not serving them. And by and large, the worst part is it's not rooted in scripture. It's not coming from the heart of the Lord. And so I got to like make some pretty powerful choices in this journey. And thankfully I'd done the due diligence up to this point before this season to be able to win there I didn't continue to walk down that road. I just continued to say no to the fear thing. So what I wanted to confess there was I did feel the temptation on multiple occasions to be afraid. I just didn't accept it. And I'm grateful that I didn't. It's the grace of the Lord. But yeah, I was able to not go there, which was great. Um, Another thing I wanted to confess on this journey was I felt separate from people. I felt very distinct and unique and maybe individualistic in this approach because I didn't have a lot of people around me who were experiencing what I was experiencing. And so I remember like in lots of conversations and people just like even friends just asked me what was going on and how was this, what was this like for me and what was I doing? It was hard to convey how I felt without feeling like I was putting myself on some kind of pedestal or like I was like, I don't know, that I thought of myself as higher or better than other people. I didn't think that, but, and I just genuinely wanted to share my enthusiasm, my excitement about the season that I was in but it was hard for them to relate to me, you know, and to like, I don't know, maybe even celebrate a little bit. Like they would do it. They would, I mean, I don't think it was just lip service. There was definitely like effort to try and celebrate with me. Like this was cool. They were, they appreciated it, respected it. But by and large, for the most part, a lot of people in my life up to that point um, had trouble celebrating this. And it's not because they were bad people. I think it was just so foreign to their, like what they were used to and what they could expect. It just felt so like outside of their norm. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I I can understand that. So I wasn't resentful or like upset at anybody for that, but I definitely felt alone in a lot of this process. I was like, I'm going through something that no one else around me is really experiencing. And not that people don't experience this, but people around me aren't right. There are people, other places and other areas who probably are going through something similar or who have gone through this already. And I'm just not talking to those people. A lot of the people around me just weren't going through it. And I was like, 
I feel really alone. <clears throat> and it was similar to my path coming to Bethel, coming to Reading. I had a lot of people in the season and the place that I was in before I came to Reading where like they were not going through this. There were people in the world who had gone through it, just nowhere around, no one around me. In the same way, like when I was letting go of the job and going into my own thing, like I didn't have a lot of people like identifying with it. And there was a little bit of resentment sometimes that would show up where people were like, they wouldn't ver- overtly say it, but they would make these side comments or there'd be some energy behind their words that you're like, wow, you just said something celebratory, but why do I feel like you just stuck me with a needle? Like that hurt, you know, or a knife or something. Anyway. So, uh, it was such a beautiful time. It was like, so it felt so risky in a beautiful way. Um, one thing I do want to throw in, um, when I did decide to close the door on my job, I actually didn't feel like, Oh gosh, I'm taking this massive risk. I didn't feel that way. I mostly felt like I was walking in obedience that this needed to happen. Like I couldn't be content staying in my job and sleeping at night. Like I couldn't look at myself in the mirror and like respect that man. If I stayed at the job at that point, it actually took more risk for me to stay. Like it took more, uh, it felt riskier to stay in the job than to leave it. Um, Cause the job was so comfortable um, and affirming. And I had such an identity in that space, you know, and I was so celebrated and it was, I'd been doing that job for six years and it just had grown in the environment and had been so respected and appreciated and acknowledged for my contribution and my role in that space. Um, it was so comfortable to stay there, but everything that I was going on in my own journey to stay in that place with what I knew I could contribute and what the Lord was asking of me and what he had empowered me with to stay there actually felt riskier than to go do my own, my own thing. It didn't feel like my own thing. I felt like the thing that the Lord was doing with me. Right. And so I remember like not feeling like, oh, I'm taking this massive risk. I remember it feeling like I have to do this. I can't stay where I am. Like, like, which was an interesting transition because the Lord like told me to take the job. You know what I mean? Like it was his idea six years ago. Like I didn't want that job. And he like stepped in and was like, I want this. And I was like, oh, so I did it out of obedience. And now six years later, I'm choosing out of something the Lord handed to me because I wanted to keep following him. And so like, I think one thing I want to throw in there too, as far as like confessions are concerned is you guys got moving. You know what I mean? Like we are all growing and I'm not saying that there isn't permanence and there isn't like stability in what he does. There absolutely is, but that upgrades, you know, like this glory to glory thing in the natural has its own version. Like there is a progression and an upgrade, a promotion, if you will, that does necessitate change. It means that you choose to move into stuff, not to run away from things, not to hide things, not to avoid things, but to keep moving toward what the Lord is walking toward. Like in my mind, we want to hold his hand and not let go. And the thing is, if you're going to hold on to the hand of the Lord, you are going to move because he is moving. God is not stationary. He is not static. He is unchanging, but he is a passionate, zealous, curious child running around doing things like building and contributing. And he's so enthusiastic about it. And so to keep up with him means that we also then have to make some choices. And it took a while to make that choice, but like the season showed up and it was time to move. And I'm grateful that I had the guts and the awareness to follow him there. But it definitely was a thing I, I needed to follow him. I remember when I was uh, going into second year, I had a dream. I woke up in the morning and I heard, I don't remember what the dream was, but I heard in my mind, um, I want you to do, this is the Lord talking to me. He was like, I want you to do two things. Hold my hand and try to scare me. And I was like, okay. Challenge accepted. I remember feeling like invited into this risky, beautiful, playful, committed friendship with the Lord. Not that I hadn't had that up to that point, but it was like he was putting language to like this heart posture and this bent 
<clears throat> like risk was on the table. Don't avoid risk. Don't try and stay within the lines. Don't be afraid of pushing the envelope. Like do it. Go further than you think I'm comfortable with. Try to scare me. See what you got. Hold my hand. Try to scare me. I was like, all right, let's go. And the thing is, you guys, what I didn't realize was if you hold the hand of the Lord, <laughs> good luck trying to scare him. It's going to be the other way around. Uh, and so I just like spent a lot of my energy in the last, I don't know, 10 years trying to keep up with the Lord, just trying to have the guts to say yes to him and move where he's moving. And so leaving the job behind thing was definitely something the Lord was putting on my heart. It wasn't a rebellious, like, I want, I have to do my own thing choice. It was actually obedience. Like the Lord had things in store for me that, you know, in hindsight, you get to look at it now and be like, wow, that's been amazing and profound. But I was guided this whole time. This wasn't something I made up. This wasn't something that I like accomplished. This was, I was simply saying yes to something deeper inside of me that was guiding me along this way. And, you know, 10 years from now, like I hope that it will continue to reflect that I'm saying yes to something deeper and more profound than my ability to come up with strategies and ideas. Like I, I want to continue to say yes to him. And when we say yes to the Lord, I mean, he makes us look like geniuses. You know, he blesses our path and all the things. It's all, it's all true. Psalms and Proverbs describes the nature and the symptoms of what it looks like to follow the Lord. And it's all true. <clears throat> uh, so anyway, in the midst of all this, the scary part was not following the Lord. My mind could find logical, practical things like, oh, this could be scary. This could be weird. This could be like a variable you don't understand. But that felt like nothing compared to what it would be like if I stayed where I was and said no to God. That was the scarier piece. You know what I mean? And that might sound like courage to some people. Some people hear that or, you know, watch that part of the story and might think, wow, Mike's so faith-filled or he's so brave or he's so trusting. And I'm like, I disagree. I don't think that's true. I mean, you can give those, you put those attributes on me. Maybe that's fine. I just don't think that's what's happening. I think I just learned how to have guts and say yes to God. I just learned that he's faithful, that he is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he's going to do. That's true. And yeah, there were risks along the way, but this isn't something that I have made happen. It is literally a symptom. It's a result of what happens when you just say yes to God. This is not, so I don't really feel like I can take credit for how profound and amazing I seem in this story because I think it does come across that way. I'm not unique in this. What I'm experiencing here is normal for all of us that follow the Lord. Like he does this to us. I think I just maybe have done it longer than some people or have continued to stick with it or something. I don't know. Cause I think there is a discrepancy there. There are a lot of people who just don't have a yes for the Lord here. They want to, and they cry out during worship sets and they make these extravagant, you know, moves to like display a, a willingness or whatever. But then there's all this mundane stuff and the behind the scenes and a day in day out type thing where that submission is still like available and sometimes they don't choose it because they just don't want to go the long haul. That perseverance hasn't been established and so when it gets you know monotonous or boring, they give up and they go look for something more sensational to do. We want to follow the Lord, you know? And so anyway, um, retirement party at 29. I'm 32 now. That was almost three years ago. It was such an interesting, beautiful season. I'm so grateful I got to go through it. Um, and now I'm really passionate about helping people shift their mindsets from being an employee dependent on somebody else's system and like feeding them their portion for the day to learning how to partner with the Lord to cultivate what is available in the world naturally and in the spirit um, and how to say yes to prosperity and abundance and more than enough and strategy and innovation and progress and providing value to the economy and to other people that improves the quality of their lives, but also brings something new that maybe we've never seen before. There is so much innovation and like transformation available to us. If the people would simply wake up and stop being slaves to a system because they don't want to dream because they don't want to trust because they don't want to take risk. I have such a passionate like drive to like 
kind of stand at the border and help transition employees into the entrepreneurial world and teach people how to take responsibility for their own like finances, their own like career path and start learning how to say yes to the dreams in their heart and finding creative ways that legitimately do work where they can pay the bills and build what God put in their hearts and not just sacrifice that stuff for the sake of security and like being able to eat. I think you can have both. You can be taken care of and change the world. You don't have to give up the dreams and the unique impact you get to have in order to take care of your family. You can do both. Uh, I'm very passionate about that. So, um, by the way, those of you listening, if that's something that like strikes a chord with you and you want to jump into that conversation with us, I've gathered a group of people. I'm calling it the L Factor. If that's something you're interested in learning more about, you can email me at contact at com with L Factor in the subject line. There is an initiative that I've embraced where I'm going to be helping people shift their mindsets from being an employee to becoming an entrepreneur. There is a journey there. There are steps to take. There are things to learn to get put in place. But as that happens, what you're capable of accomplishing in the economy is incredible and so worth it. All right. So you guys, thanks for joining me on this. Um, Remember to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Leave some comments on the episode. Those five-star ratings, you guys, really help us out. So um, my editor is like, Hey, this would be really helpful. So I wanted to throw that in there. If you would be willing to give us a five-star rating on the podcast would really help us get, you know, this podcast where we want it to go and to have the impact we'd like it to have. So if you could help us out in that way, that'd be awesome. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.